Welcome to the Adventurous Podcast, inspiring conversations with trailblazing entrepreneurs about purpose, impact, and their incredible journeys of transformation. I'm your host, Genevieve Le Marchal. I'm a venture capitalist, a global health impact investor, and a serial entrepreneur. I'm also the head of healthcare at Expert Dojo, the fastest growing venture fund and investment growth engine in the country, and the managing partner of Suncoast Ventures. I've always done business to the beat of my own drum with love and my full heart, so expect that type of vibe here. Come along with me as we discover the transformational journey of entrepreneurship and the real hearts and souls of the people behind the journey and how they created a business of purpose and impact. All right, adventurers, let's dive in. Hi, adventurers. It's Genevieve here with Chris from Sober Sidekick. I am so excited to share with you about his inspirational story, and we're going to talk about how Sober Sidekick is creating what I love, the greatest wave of comeback stories the world has ever seen. So before we dive in, talking all about this incredible story that is going to inspire you and motivate you, and there's just so much wisdom to be gleaned from Chris today, I want to share with you guys a little bit about Trident Coffee. Trident takes so much pride and craft, and they help you fuel your day with organic, keto, friendly canned lattes and roasted whole bean coffee found in Sprouts nationwide and in all high-end natural grocers in Southern California. You can also visit one of their tap rooms located in San Diego to immerse yourself in the full experience and find them online at Trident Coffee. Trident Coffee, live life full steam ahead. So Chris, welcome to the Adventurous Podcast. Thanks, Jen. Excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. I've and I'm so glad that you were able to make it today. Um, you have just this your story. You allude to it a little bit on the web website. You can tell there's just so much richness and it's so nuanced. And I mean, just it's an incredible story. Um, I'm going to go ahead and link that in the show notes for everybody. But Chris, I'd love for you to start off sharing with our adventurers here um, about Sober Sidekick, and then let's dive into what led you to starting this incredible company that you have today. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Jen, as you mentioned, mission of Sober Sidekick is to scale the most epic wave of real-life comeback stories the world has ever seen. And for us, one of the things we recognize is that alcohol is no one's problem, but for many people, it's their only solution. And it's their solution for what we view the big enemy to be, which is isolation. I look at, you know, unfortunately, some of the friends I've had over the years who are no longer here. Um, and, you know, their death, you know, whether it was an overdose or whatever, it was not because they loved drugs or they loved alcohol or they loved anything in specific. It's because they were isolated and they yeah. didn't know how to break that cycle of isolation. So, Sidekick exists to create a world where there's no scenario of which if you're struggling, if you're suffering with anything, that you won't write a post and receive written support from strangers around the world and nothing but positive support. Mm -hmm. We call it scaling empathy. We call it our empathy algorithm. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're here to do is we're here to break the cycle of isolation Research says that isolation is the second leading cause of early death. Um, so yeah, we're here to fight isolation. And as a result, more people get sober. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is so special about what you're doing and is, is there's so much drive behind it is because it's not really about a business. It's just so Mm -hmm. happens that a business is the mechanism for creating the purpose and, and the impact in the world that you're meant to create. And, um, you know, I don't know about you. I hope you believe this to be true, but I truly believe that you were meant to create this. And I believe that you were chosen. And, you know, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story because I think, you know, kind of that moment you had, you know, I feel like that was the moment where it was maybe awakened in you or put into you. So I'd love to, you know, dive a little bit into, you know, where were you before you started Sober Sidekick that led to you creating this amazing, um, company, we'll call it (laughs) that we have today. Yeah. Um, well, 30 days before I wrote the first line of code for Sober Sidekick, it was Thanksgiving Day in 2018, and I was waking up on the sidewalk for the fourth day in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, was completely isolated, you know, no phone, no wallet, no idea where I was. And, you know, the question of how did I get here was a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And, you know, that day I I didn't have a ton of hope that day, but, you know, I, I asked myself like, what if just a, what if question, what if today was day one of my own comeback story? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the concept of one day or day one is really a, a theme throughout sober psychic and throughout everything we do and throughout like personal development in general, even, you know, for me today as an entrepreneur with anything, it's a question of one day or day one, going to the gym one day or day one, yeah. uh, reading a book one day or day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a, it's a mindset shift um, that, you know, once unlocked, it, it can change everything as I saw within my own life. That's amazing. I think, you know, one of the things I think about as you tell that story is the judgment that we often have on people that we see on the street thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, these people are this or these people are that. I bet there were people who passed you by during that time and never thought, you know, even once about who you were, who you might be capable of doing. And all it took was one thought in your mind to change everything, to say, what if this could be different? You know, and I love the phrasing of that question that we compose ourselves. What if, because that's possibility versus why is mm-hmm. <laughs> this this way, yeah. which is like a closing off. Um, if you say, what if this, it opens ourselves up to things that are beyond our comprehension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And one of the things I remember that day is I, I had tried to, uh, get help in the form of walking into an emergency room in a Mm -hmm. hospital. Mm -hmm. And as I was walking away, like they told me, this isn't, this is not a homeless shelter. Um, here's, here's a number you can call. And, you know, apparently, you know, the days before I didn't remember it, I had tried the same thing. Mm -hmm. And as I was walking away, I I heard the security guard say, I fucking hate this guy. He keeps coming back. And that was a hard pill to swallow at the time. But in, at the mm-hmm. same time in my head, it was just like, me too. Like, I hate this guy also. Yeah. But also at yeah. the same time, it's just like, I, I still had the what if thought going through my mind. And it's mm-hmm. like, what if, 
what if this really is day one of my recovery? And what if, you know, this guy is wrong about me, you know, and it's, it's the trap of guilt and shame that, you know, many times in all aspects of life, it's easy to fall into where we believe the story we tell ourselves or we believe our past to be our future. And, you know, it's in all aspects of life, it's, it's so easy to fall into that trap and negate the opportunities for change, the what if, the possibilities, as you said. So you had the what if, what if this could be the last, you know, the start of me not being this in this situation. What then happened to have you say, what if I were going to write that first line of code? Like, where did, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. So I was 30 days into my sobriety journey. Um, That's not very long. Yeah. (laughs) I will say like, I mean, it's a lifetime in some ways and it's also not very long in a lot of ways. So yeah. In in the grand scheme of things, it's not a long period of time, but for Mm -hmm. me at that point in time, it was a very long period of time, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, not a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was in a sober living um, and it was, it was either Christmas or it was the day after Christmas. And I'd gone to an AA meeting and I'd gotten a 30 day chip mm-hmm. and I was sort of thinking like, I really think this time is different. Cause I had told myself I was going to quit times in the past and I'd gotten a couple weeks, this and that. And I, you know, also part of the story I've been telling myself all these years is I used to be this, I used to be an entrepreneur. I used to, I, I did all these different amazing things. Some of them worked out. Some of them didn't like, will I ever get back to that point again? Right. And I remember my, my first startup, which was an app for undiscovered musicians that went mm-hmm. viral on Twitter on launch day. And there was a concept of musicians helping musicians, which was the one thing about the concept that worked. Uh-huh. Um, so I was sitting in that meeting and watching people support each other and was like realizing like, what if I could make the same support that's going on in this room right now available around the clock 24 seven in real time, mm-hmm. um, 100% of the time. And that's where, you know, in my mind, I rebranded the give to receive algorithm for undiscovered musicians as the empathy algorithm mm-hmm. in this space. And it just clicked. It made so much sense. Um, and I got home and I, I just started coding. Um, and 30 days later, their Apple approved the first version of Sober Sidekick in the App Store. So the empathy algorithm, mm-hmm. it works. And it is, I mean, I don't want to go into all this stuff about, you know, Sober Sidekick, but, um, it's actually helping people in the way that you envisioned it would. And, you know, I look at this and I think, how big is this problem? And how Mm -hmm. simple really is the algorithm? You don't have to tell us. Where do you, and then you, you put it very simple. You just say, basically, you kind of were like, what if these people helped each other? And I made that into an algorithm and you started writing code. Like, where did that come from? Where did the 
idea flow from? Yeah. Well, where did where did the idea for the empathy algorithm come from? Well, you were inspired by the room, but mm-hmm. then you somehow translated that into this very powerful algorithm. Yeah. You know, that is I, I feel like that is a creation. That isn't it's like that's flow right there. Yeah, you know? well, I had the advantage of I had already tested this algorithm with thousands of musicians. Mm-hmm. in my first startup. Oh, okay. And, so you kind of just like tweaked it for a different thing and rebuilt it, you know, and but you knew that it was going to Yeah, I I have mm-hmm. proven I have proven the concept. Um mm-hmm. you know, and just for context, this was an app where if you're an artist, uh you can guarantee feedback on your own content by providing feedback to others. Mm-hmm. So app would play a song for me, I listen to it, and I give it a rating. And as soon as I give a rating, my music then plays in real time for another artist to listen Mm -hmm. to and rate. So that was the concept It worked, obviously, a few layers of iterations in order for this to work for sidekick Mm -hmm. um, for this space. But so I mean, that experience, that's where, you know, there's no such thing as failure. It was just Mm -hmm. learnings. And yeah, you know, without those failures, I wouldn't have been in the position to uh, come out with an idea on the spot for for this space. So if you were to meet somebody today, and let's even say they were an entrepreneur, you know, Mm -hmm. like you, and they're struggling with addiction, Mm -hmm. and they are maybe they're in a place similar to where you were at um, mm-hmm. and you were to run into them at, at the park. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyone who is in the, a very dark place and is having a, a lot of difficulty on their, on their journey mm-hmm. based off of what you know today, what would you want to tell that person? Yeah. Yeah. Um, first thing I would do is, listen. Mm -hmm. Um, because many of us, uh, feel trapped when we, we feel we aren't heard. Um, Mm -hmm. so the first thing I would, I would do is listen and I would probably relate probably many things that they say, many thoughts that they express are are thoughts that I also feel and, Mm -hmm. you know, also Mm -hmm. can relate to. And, I guess taking a step back, I, I consider my entrepreneurial journey to be very, very similar to my recovery journey. Yeah. One thing I say when it comes to my own recovery journey is I'm not a better person than I was before. I'm not a stronger person than I was before. Mm-hmm. I've just had a change in perspective. Um, you know, I, yeah. I think it's Jim Rohn who says like something like it's, very easy to live a great life. And then someone asks him, why doesn't everyone live a great life? And he says, because it's very easy to live a bad life. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the perspective change that has happened for me as a result of, you know, letting the guilt and shame go and Mm -hmm. learning to be vulnerable and learning to be real and learning to be honest, you know, someone asked me how I'm doing, it's always easy to say good. Yeah. Um, fine. But, Great. Yeah. 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 But I now have people in my life that I trust where if they ask me mm-hmm. how I'm doing, 
I can be real with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's keeping those emotions and those feelings trapped inside, which leads to alcoholism. It leads to depression. It leads to suicide. It leads to so many different things and learning to let go of that internal stigma, that internal guilt and shame and recognize that it might not be your fault that you're in this position, but there's some opportunities to learn from it, grow from it, and then turn it into some, turn it into your purpose. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe that purpose comes from suffering. And, you know, it's the problems that we've experienced in this world, the problems that we've suffered through, uh, when reframed the right way, it becomes our purpose and our source of life. Absolutely. I think you're hitting on something that I think is so, so powerful, just being a human in the world. But um, especially what I've discovered in in business is um, the illusion that we're separate from each other. Mm. Um, this person is that, and I am this, and therefore we are not the same. Mm-hmm. And um, this person is not an addict, and I am. Therefore, we are different, and mm. or vice versa. Um, and and you we we look at this, and you realize as soon as you're willing to kind of drop that belief that we might be different and entertain the idea that we might all actually be the same, mm. you learn, uh, and I've learned that age, you know, socioeconomic geography, culture we're all the same. And for me, it's like you, I, I've learned sometimes I, if I go first and mm-hmm. share something, they are right there with me. And then suddenly we have a real connection, but the thing that keeps us trapped is that belief in separation and, you know, the shame and the guilt and all of that, that we carry that keeps mm-hmm. us separate, but like, we're the same. We're not different whatsoever. And, um, but I think it takes courage to be able to step forward and be the one to say, I'm going to explore how myself and this person are actually this are actually the same rather than get into my stories about how we're different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so relate with that. And, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, bullet points on sidekick is we're a, we platform we being with empathy and without ego. And where I agree with you very strongly is ego. Like I used to think ego was pride. And, Mm -hmm. you know, since then I've learned that it's your entire Mm self-conception. And we spend so much of life trying to protect that conception of ourselves. And also the perception that others have of that self but none of that is the self it's all a projection of self mm-hmm. and when you let go of ego we are all the same you know we're just the universe observing itself mm-hmm. you know and yeah when you're when you're able to, and you know guilt and shame can only come from ego because that's that's a those are adjectives for a self that's not real um and yeah, yeah, I, I relate to everything you're saying there so much. There, well, so obviously you've, we could rabbit hole on this topic probably for yeah. three hours. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll do another one. But I think that um, when 
it's really scary to drop your ego because your ego is designed. It's there for a reason. It's to protect you and your self-perception. And so we have this fear automatically where we say, if I'm to drop this, then who mm-hmm. am I? Yeah. You know, it almost feels like you're free falling when you mm-hmm. let go of a piece of something that you have decided is your identity, then mm-hmm. you have nothing. And you can see it as two things, fear, scary, or you can see it as another thing, freedom. Now I'm free. Um, have, you, have you read The Untethered Soul? Yes. Okay. Yes, I love that book. In fact, it's like dog-eared because I sometimes I just read it a couple pages. Yeah. Because it's just so profound. And, and um, yeah, I love that book. But um, there was something I wanted to ask you about. And I'm just like, I keep like, it keeps flittering out of my mind. But um, it's on that topic that we were just discussing. What, oh, purpose. So mm-hmm. um, you were talking about how, like, when we are torn down, that's where mm-hmm. we find it. And, you know, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs and some who are really successful and are grasping for that purpose. They've got the money, they've done this and that, whatever, but they don't feel aligned. They don't feel Mm. the purpose. They don't feel the impact and they're looking for that. And, you know, it's really interesting because you just alluded to the idea that, because you have it, Mm -hmm. I have it, I have a you know, I didn't have, I don't have an addiction story, but I have a rock bottom, terrible story. Of course Mm -hmm. we all do. But, um, you basically kind of what you're saying is like the place that we're all avoiding going is the place where you're going to find that, Mm. you know, that dark depths, (laughs) you know, facing. There's a quote for that, which is, and I forget who it's from. Um, but it's the cave you fear holds the treasure you speak. Or the, the cave you fear, fear holds the treasure you seek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who said that? Do you know? Good. I don't know. I'll Google it. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Show notes, guys. I'll Google that quote. But yeah, it's amazing. And I think, you know, I don't want to say, oh, some people have never had a struggle. Everyone has had a struggle. But I think mm-hmm. being present with what is when you're in that bad place is where you're going to find the purpose that's yours. And, you know, the purpose that's yours isn't necessarily like make some money so I can provide for my family (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. you know, any of those things. That's why I said sober sidekick is a purpose that just so happens to have like a business attached to it and some in a component, but it's not really about a business at all. It's just, that's what, what it was. It was created. I'm curious, you know, as you're building this, you're growing this Mm -hmm. overcoming you, the worst has basically already happened to you. So it's sort of like, come at me life. <laughs> Cause you can't do the, you can't do anything worse than what's already occurred. Um, have you had a moment, you know, since writing that first line of code where you just were like, I'm going to quit. This is too hard. This is not going to work. This is rough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of those moments. Um, so context, uh, first year and a half of my recovery, I was living in a sober living. Um, There was not a scenario where I wasn't sharing a bedroom with at least one other person. Mm -hmm. There was a point in time where I was sharing a room with three other guys and a house with 15 people in it Mm -hmm. and new people every week because people are relapsing people are leaving yeah this and that just a constant cycle so all this chaos going around me 
while I'm working a job and then coming home and coding sober sidekick at night. And, you know, in the beginning, as is true with every, almost every startup outside of your early adopters, you, you don't get much positive feedback. Um, You know, your opportunities to network, your opportunities to pitch are very limited. So staying focused on the early adopters. And one thing I'm grateful for is Sidekick had early adopters day one. Mm -hmm. um, And that people found us in the app store through search that I didn't know. And it was only like five to 10 a day. That's very inspiring. Like, it's nice. Yeah, I know for me to like sending out email lists or emails to my email list or, you know, things like that. It's like, great. I'm super glad my mom opens my emails. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's really motivating when you have people you don't know. So that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it it really was a a shitty, shitty UX in the beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. But people used it for its purpose, which was this was the one place in the world where if they speak out about what's going on, someone will reach out to them. Yeah. A peer will reach out to them. And mm-hmm. that value proposition was stronger than the bad UX and, you know, the ugly colors and the ugly logo, that value proposition rung true. So like, you know, as I'm living in a sober living, uh, you know, scraping by, you know, barely eating, um, and you know, like the, I, I had a really tough month where I was, I was, uh, one of the people who broke down a bathroom door to find one of our roommates no longer alive. Oh my God. And, um, you know, so like just constant mm-hmm. reminders of how real this is. And it was that realness that kept me going, but also made it easy to quit. So it was kind of a double-edged sword. But yeah. the, but where I'm grateful for is it kept me going. And, you know, why I feel my entrepreneurial journey and my recovery journey are so intertwined is, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think of like, you know, it was like six months in and I did, I went to San Francisco to do a pitch event and... It was like my first pitch event for Sober Sidekick. Mm-hmm. It did not go well. Um, and, <laughs> I've and been there. <laughs> what, what was worse is after it didn't go well, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the hotel I had booked for myself, you had to check in before 9 p.m. And mm-hmm. it was 9.30. So there was no way to get to the hotel that I had paid for. And also at that point in time, I was literally spending like, I had no wiggle room when it came to yeah. budget. Yeah. And I was like $50 in my bank account thinking, how am I going to find a place to stay for the night? It's cold, this and that. And then the thought came to mind, I know how to stay warm. I'll buy whiskey. And that was six months into my recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I walked into a store, bought a bottle and like was about to go completely back to where I started. And I just sat there on the curb and, you know, tried to lift the bottle up and I just couldn't do it. And it's just like, just like all these reminders, like, remember why you started, like, you know, one bad day doesn't have to mean like, this can be either the end of everything, or this can be one bad day. 
Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, looking back, you know, after walking away and finding a hostel that I could stay in for $40, stayed on the fourth bunk bed. Mm-hmm. I woke up the next morning happier than I ever was because it was, I realized like, you know, the enemy is not outside of me. The enemy is within me. Mm-hmm. And as long as I'm willing to look inward, there's no scenario that I can't push through. And then looking back, um, reg- like looking back, I recognize the significance of that day because if I had drank on the street that day, there would not be 150,000 members. I, would- I have chills right now. I'm like, that. this is so amazing. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's like, I say that, and for that reason, I say this to our members all the time, like the day you want to quit is the most important day of your life. Um, and I literally Mm -hmm. just told that someone that, uh, 30 minutes before this call, because he shared a story of Mm -hmm. walking in, wanting to quit, walking through 10 bars. He decided if I'm going to relapse, it's got to be on my brand. So Mm -hmm. he walked, to like 10 different bars, none of them had his brand. And, mm-hmm. and he went home and went to sleep. And, you know, he, he felt shame about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reframing that was happening was no, that's, that is a victory that is way better. That is way more of a victory than the days where it was easy. You know, it's mm-hmm. the days that you mm-hmm. want to quit that are the defining moments, because it's when most people would quit. Yeah. Ever, you know, so I'm about to just rant and rant and rant. So I'm going to stop myself. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's just such an incredible story. And you, you told such a great soundbite there, which is like the day you want to quit is the day that is like your most triumphant day, you know, the mm-hmm. day you want to quit and that you don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that rings true, you know, not just for people who are on a sobriety journey, but for people who are just doing something really hard the mm-hmm. day, you know, you're, you're always going to be tempted. I feel like in a way it's, we sometimes get tested. I think mm-hmm. it's like, are you going to go back to the thing that you did before? Are you going to go this route? And you, it's really hard to not do the thing. And you have to say, I'm not going to do it. And you know, that's the, that's almost for me also, like when I take, I get to up level to the next step mm-hmm. of, you know, whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish. So Wow. I think that that's just like, that's an amazing story. Um, and I love that so many people, it gives so much perspective too, because there's a lot of people listening to this who might have a bad day. Maybe they got a parking ticket Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, it it definitely puts some perspective on it for sure. Um, so when you're, when you are thinking about what it is that's possible now, you know, you've got this amazing mindset, you know, in terms of saying, what if this were possible instead of saying, why is this this way? And what if this, what if that? And, you know, Sober Psychic has definitely um, had some great success. Chris has won some awards and Sober Psychic has won some awards recently that are very um, impressive. And, you know, when you think about what if, what is possible for, for you guys? What do you see happening for you now that you have this mindset? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a big what if question is, what if our healthcare was community driven? And what if Mm -hmm. we were less dependent on 
medical professionals and expensive care in so many areas, what if we were more dependent on each other? Because in many, especially in behavioral health and especially mental health, mm-hmm. um, so much of the need uh, for you know prescriptions and services and all these different things that do have value in themselves, but part part of the reason for the high demand and lack of access is because of what we're missing in our real world. Right. And, you know, the, the, the community that we're missing and the isolation that we feel like across the board and not just substance abuse, mm-hmm. even at, when it comes to diabetes, there's, there's studies that show the more isolated you are, the less you stick to your diabetes medication and your plan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a big so, thing for Alzheimer's disease too. The, the onset of mm-hmm. Alzheimer's accelerates the more isolated that people are. And, you know, I feel like I hear a lot of younger people criticizing the older generation for, um, you know, their, their medical problems you know, <laughs> and the onset of them. But I think mm-hmm. about how we, how we proliferate their isolation as a society. And mm. it's like, you know, if you stigmatize people mm-hmm. who have hypertension or people mm-hmm. who have obesity or something like that, and you stigmatize people who are mm-hmm. older or whatever, we as a society are proliferating the very problems that we want to see because it's a driven by isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And no one wins when it's me versus you. No. And we, like you said, realizing that we're all the same, that we're all one mm-hmm. when you know, I can, when I'm focusing on, you know, what I see in myself and another person, mm-hmm. we can do nothing but help each other. Yeah. Uh, but when I am in ego and, and when I am, you know, in comparison mode, then that's where, that's where, you know, I miss out on an opportunity to not only build someone else up, but build myself up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's these small interactions on a daily basis, but in general, how we operate as society, we just, our mental health problem and our behavioral health problem is a problem as a result of a lack of community. And we can't depend on the healthcare system to fix, you know, the basic human needs that we're missing in the real world. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I thought of something as you were talking just there that it's like, you know, when you're sitting across from somebody and people are just thinking in their head, what can I get? Mm-hmm. Or, or sometimes they think, what can I give? That's mm. still transactional, right? Even yeah. if it's altruistic, whether you're giving or taking, it's still, you're still participating in a transaction. What if we asked ourselves when we were in an interaction with someone, who can I be? Mm. And it, and even if you're only going to be like, who can I be in this moment here with Chris? You know, Mm. and it it doesn't, that takes away any aspect of saying I have to give this or I have to get that or, or whatever, who, who can I be? And then what comes from that is what's possible because of the ability to just be in this moment, you know? And, Mm. um, you know, I like the idea of that because I feel like in, especially in entrepreneurship, there's so much pressure to transact all oh, yeah. the time, 
What can yeah. I get? What can I give? How do I add value? How do I take value? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's mm-hmm. exhausting. <laughs> you yeah. just want to stop and be like, can't we just hang out? <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and so that was just, that just kind of hit me when you were, when you were telling that, um, when you were talking. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that when it comes to, to pitching mm-hmm. is like, and I've been more and more intentional as of late to, to start a pitch stating who I really am. Um, oh. Not in that way, but, mm-hmm. you know, more of an intention, internal intention, like, I'm just going to put myself out there in the first 30 seconds uh, mm-hmm. and be real. And it's being real in that first 10 to 15 seconds mm-hmm. where then no one in the room has any power over me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my insecurity, like there, my insecurities are out the window. Mm-hmm. And once those insecurities are to the side, then I can connect. And then, mm-hmm. and then the pitch is about connecting and seeing what different people relate to and seeing what, um, is inspiring or, um, is resonating, um, Mm -hmm. and connecting at a human level. And then for me, like I get to turn a pitch into just human connection and like seeing look in people's eyes and seeing Mm -hmm. the head nods and, and see, and then after the pitch hearing people talk about how they relate, um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not an addict, but I was depressed all of last year and I was stuck in this rut. And I completely agree with you that this is the problem that we need to be solving. Like, you know, I've, I've talked to people at levels that I didn't think I'd ever be talking to. And I've seen them open up and be real right back with me um, and share things that I don't know if they've shared with others. Um, yeah. And for me, that that is that is inspiring to see um and and that's what keeps me alive in this pitching process because and i think you're infusing your business with something that means more than just money and opportunity so even if these people that you're meeting don't invest or get involved or whatever it doesn't matter because i almost see it as this like inertia that you're creating when you're out there it's like I know there's people watching you that you don't even know are watching you. And mm. it's because of who you're being and it's because of these conversations and it's because of this connection, not because sober psychic is growing fast AF and you guys are doing amazing things. Like that's cool. But you know what? Lots of platforms are growing fast. So <laughs> like it's, it's not that there's mm. something else when you are out in the world and by you, I mean you, yes, but people, mm-hmm. um, and you're just connecting with people real, some people are going to be drawn to the universe that is sober psychic mm-hmm. and others aren't. And it starts to become this thing that's bigger than itself. And I talk mm-hmm. about that a lot with what we've, what we're doing um, and over here at Suncoast and, and things like that is like, it's growing so fast because there's a multiplier effect. And some people don't understand the multiplier effect. And so I'll say, oh, you know, everyone's aligned on the vision and we all care about health equity. No, 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 no. It's because we're out there in the world 
mm. speaking this truth and the people who believe it are coming in and they're doing the same and it just, it feeds itself. And mm. there's something there that I can't really put into words, but it's more of like a movement or an energy than it is a alignment of values, <laughs> quote unquote. Yeah, thesis. Yeah, whatever that might be. And, you know, you use these words because they're the ones, they're the words you're supposed to use. You know, you get the pitch deck out because you're supposed to use it. But at the end of the day, there's something beneath that. And that's what people are getting involved in, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're all going to die. Because <laughs> we're going to die one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, on. Uh, on our deathbed, we're we're gonna think about different things than we think about on, on the day to day, and mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think it's it's those types of connections that you know we'll be proud of one day when we're on our deathbed, and those the mission, you know, mm -hmm. it's like what am I, what do I want my life to mean, is. The question. But you can, can be we, proud of that today and you can ask yourself that today because why wait until we're dead or dying yeah, to yeah. be like, who am I being today? I know, you know, I mean, anyone who's been at, in like a terrible place mm -hmm. when you're grasping and you're like, what is it that I most want? It's not usually like more money or this or that. Like, like I remember one of the things that I just most desperately wanted was peace. I was mm. like, I just want to feel at peace. I, I can't mm. like this turmoil and torment mm. has to end. And, you know, so now one of the things I most want is peace and mm. seeking that. And, um, and then the other thing too, of course, is, you know, what drives me the most and what means the most to me. And it's, um, you know, true connection and realness and, you know, having, so I, I seek to create real relationships with um, our investors, real relationships with our founders and everyone in the, in the, in the ecosystem, not just transactional because, you know, not just when I'm dying, <laughs> mm -hmm. but when I'm, when it's Friday afternoon and I'm tired, yeah. you know, I, I want to feel the way that I want to feel about what mm -hmm. it is that I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I brought up the deathbed point just in that, like I, I think it was Les Brown who, who said it, but like, there's a, there's a test that I kind of put myself through whenever I'm like stuck or whenever I'm, whenever I'm, you know, conflicted and it's mm -hmm. asking myself, what will I care about when it comes to today when I'm mm -hmm. on my deathbed? And oh, I'm probably yeah. not going to care about what the outcome of the meeting was. Mm -hmm. I'm going to care about the fact that I showed up. I'm probably not going to care about whether or not I got funding in this pitch or a different pitch, but I'm going to care about whether or not I was willing to be honest and real about myself and, you know, not hold back or, you know, stay true, speak boldly about what the mission was. That you so, were on the court. Yeah. You were on yeah. the court, you know, even oh, yeah. I always feel that way. I'm like, even if I fail because I have failed many times and what's the likelihood I'm going to fail? I don't know. Hi, let's knock on wood, but you know, <laughs> I'd like to say at least if I'm on the court every second and I'm playing full out, I won't regret my failure because, but I mm -hmm. will regret it if I wasn't on the court. 
and if I wasn't playing full out regret mm-hmm. city you know oh yeah yeah the only thing you can't do or the only thing that can't be undone is not making a decision that's the only thing that can't be undone wait a minute go unpack that a little bit more yeah yeah also not not my quote um <laughs> but uh, I listened, I listened to so many podcasts. Um, but the statement is the only thing that you can't undo is not making a decision because mm. if you make a decision, you can learn from it, mm-hmm. but not making a decision. All you have is looking back and saying, I wonder what would have happened if I had made a decision, oh, um, yeah. or if I take an action. So like the only mm-hmm. thing you can't undo is not taking action. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I kind of feel like you, you were talking about how we, we take the past and we mm-hmm. make it mean something about us today. And then mm-hmm. therefore we live that every single day. And so when you, th- when you think about taking action, it's like mm-hmm. really the only thing that matters is now, now, mm-hmm. now, <laughs> now, you know, because <laughs> either you're taking action or you're not taking action. And mm-hmm. for a long time, I was telling myself I was taking action. Mm-hmm. I was justifying why I wasn't taking action. <laughs> I had lots of great reasons why, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, all I had were my own reasons and my own excuses for why mm-hmm. I didn't, why I wasn't who I wanted to be, why I didn't have what I wanted to have. As soon as I started to take action, um, were things kind of messy sometimes, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, but, but life shook loose. And then when you get on the court and you start doing things, you know, you're only, it's going to be messy and you're going to get elbowed in the face and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, get, get a bloody nose from time to time, but you're playing the game. And I think, I don't know, most people aren't playing the game. They're just talking about playing the game. Yeah. And that also comes back to ego Mm because who are you to say that you can't do something like who are you to say you can't do it and it's you know I I heard a point about Michael Jordan which I is a really interesting reminder and they were talking about him picture Michael Jordan junior year of high school right cut, cut from the high cut from the varsity team playing JV mm-hmm if he were looking for reasons to say he couldn't be the greatest ever, mm-hmm. they were all around him. And, right. you know, so, so the point here is it doesn't really matter how many reasons out there exist for why you can't do something. It's just, who mm-hmm. are you to say that you can't, you know, the what if question. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to think about that for a while today. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, Chris, (laughs) so much wisdom and, um, time has just flown, flown by. Is there any final words you'd like to leave for our adventurers here, um, who are listening in on this podcast, whether it's final piece of wisdom or, um, something about, um, what you're up to, um, any, any last words for, for everybody here? Um, yeah, I guess I, I would say, like, because this has come up in multiple conversations today, mm-hmm. I guess my last word would be the day you want to quit is the most important day of your life. Fabulous. It's amazing. 
I think you should get that printed on some swag, actually, and hand it out to people. <laughs> All right, adventurers. Well, you met him here, Chris Thompson, CEO of Sober Sidekick. I'm going to go ahead and put some links in the show notes for you. Um, I'm also going to encourage everyone I have ever met has had someone who has struggled with addiction or they have themselves share with them sober sidekick it could be the greatest gift you ever ever give them and you know with that thank you so much for coming on today chris and we will see all of my adventures back here next time for our next episode awesome thanks so much for having me Tune in on all major podcast platforms and head over to the Adventurous YouTube channel for our video version. You can also listen to our podcast on our website at adventurouspodcast.com. If you found value in this podcast, please empower your community by sharing. Leave a comment, like, review, and subscribe. See you next time, adventurers.